Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. One thing that we note is that this series is all about words, right? It's all about words, and we've talked about varying words, such as gospel and judgment and righteousness, faith, justification, and last week, grace. The, the word that's used the most in the book of Romans is the word God. It's used 145 times. Christ is second in that, in 70 times. And the word that we're going to be using this morning, and we're going to talk about, comes in a very close third. And it might even surprise you when you see all of these wonderful words that are up there. And it is the word law, nomos. It's used 66 times times in this book. Now, when we use the word law, we've got a lot of different connotations of, of how that word is used. Uh, here we have Judge Wild. Judge Wild has a very specific meaning to the word law, right? But if you were to go and you were to ask a scientist and say, what is law, or how do you see law, then they will see law in, in a different way, right? Or they, they see law in, a, in their perspective. And so it's important as we think about the word law, it's like, how is this thing being used? And one of the ways it is being used uh, in its very definition is that it's teaching, it's direction, it's principle, guidance, instruction, it's rule or law. And oftentimes it is referring to the Mosaic law. These are a, a uh, system of laws. They're civil statutes. They're priestly ordinances that we find in the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, right? And its very foundation, which also, when you say law, can refer to it, is the Ten Commandments. We're familiar with that, right? God, God dictated to Moses these great, wonderful laws that he, he gave there on Mount Sinai. But also, when you use the word law... Sometimes it's used of the entire Old Testament, the Tanakh, if you will, or the, the Hebrew Scriptures, as we will sometimes call it here. But law, in the book of Romans, can also mean God's requirements for his creation in the conscience. When he talked about the, the law of the Gentiles, he spoke of them in that way in those first couple of chapters. So sometimes, most of the time, it's going to be the law of Moses that he's referring to in his writings. But sometimes we have to kind of watch the little ball bouncing, right? To kind of figure out where it is. This is a big subject for Paul. It's a very big subject for Paul. And, and, and so, you know, it's like there's a lot of questions that came up in the churches. You know, are, are those who are, are messianic believers, are are they supposed to continue to follow the law of God? Uh, those who are Gentiles, you know, non-Jews, that's what we mean, are they supposed to follow the law of God? As we see, as it's used in, in these first four ways. And, and for Paul, he was constantly trying to bring balance to the churches. Because these churches, now they were made up of Jews and non-Jews, Right? And if you read the book of, Gala of Galatians, you see that the church at Galatia, they were all about, they were a little bit too much about the law. But if you get into Romans, 
And this has to do with the Jews that had been exiled out of the city of Rome, and then eventually they were allowed to come back in. All of a sudden, we find a group of people who were a little too eager to get rid of it. And Paul, he's talking about its fulfillment. He also comes to its defense throughout this book. Now, this is, this is the only lesson I'm, I've put into two lessons, okay? I think it's just important because a lot of times I don't think we feel like, oh, we see that word, let's just pass by. It's a huge word. If you're going to read the book of Romans, it's the, it's the word that you're going to see the third most time in this book. So we've got to know some, some things about it. And what we're really going to focus on this morning is this idea of the law of Moses that he speaks about. There were many Jewish people who believed that they were morally and spiritually superior because simply they had the law and they were doing things uh, according to the law um, that these Gentiles were not doing. Of course, you know, the whole point of, of, of the first two chapters is, uh, really chapters two and three, is to show that no, it didn't matter who had the law, Right? But here we see they sometimes felt a little bit superior. And rather than seeing their own failures, they saw these laws that set them apart from the pagans, and they saw them, they just really believed that they were, they were better. Hey, we, we circumcise. We keep the Sabbath day. We follow these dietary laws. Um, we uh, do those things such as, um, you know, the Jewish holy days and so forth. And it's very easy to come down on them, right? But the fact of the matter is we can be just as guilty sometimes. We can feel like we're superior. I mean, hey, we look out at the world, right? We see what the world has to offer. And we can feel very spiritually and morally superior to what's happening in the world. And why not? Hey, we're the ones, we've been baptized. We come to church regularly. We read our Bible. And, and maybe there's people who tell us, you're a good person. That's not bad. That's why I'm not even saying that's bad. The problem comes when we believe that somehow we are impressing God with our goodness. Or God forbid that we do those things in order to impress other people. Maybe even Christians. Here's the problem. He tells us in chapter 3, verse 23, he says, all sin and fall short of God's glory. And so we need to understand this idea of sin and the law of sin that he refers to here in the scripture. So we're still in chapter 3. We're going to be all over this book. But here in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law listen to this through the law comes the knowledge of sin hmm the function of the law is to show who God is it is to show us his perfect righteousness. It's to show us God's character. 
And when we sin in one part, just one single part of the law, we have broken the entire thing, is what he says. Because it's, it's showing us God. And not only do we break law, we experience it, don't we? We experience its power and its presence. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've lost relationships because of sin. Maybe you've, lost, uh, you've destroyed your family. Maybe you have, um, you know, you have felt these feelings of shame and guilt and anger and resentment. So we don't just break a law, we experience it. Let's just take the law of thou shalt not steal. Not only do we break that law when we do, when we steal, but we may experience that sin by being arrested. We may experience that sin by paying a fine or losing our jobs. So sin is not just something that, you know, that we do that's bad. It also is something that we experience. This is what the law is trying to tell us. In fact, if you look at chapter 5 and verse 20, oh, this is, this is interesting. Look at chapter 5 and verse 20. He says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Now you may be saying, well, why in the world would God give us his law in order to increase our trespasses well the real clue to understanding this is to, to follow the bouncing ball of the word trespass it's used in verses 14 through 18 four verses it's used six times and it's referring to the trespass of adam and he's telling us that the law cannot deliver us from adam's sin but what it will do is it will magnify it so, so think of this projector here. On this projector, there, there's a lens. You can't really see the lens, but there's usually a lens about like this. And, and, and this is the way the law is. The law is like that lens. There's a bright light that comes out, and it can project an image on a huge, large screen. We could actually make it bigger than this. That's what the law does. The law takes the commands of God, takes what God wills for us, and it just plasters it up. Now, sin is sin whether or not we have, have the law of God or not. In fact, that's what he said in verses 13 and 14. But there's something about knowing that this is a commandment from God and we break that law that it, sometime, that it absolutely intensifies it. Right? Now, you may be saying, well, you know what, I just, I don't understand why the Jews felt like that the law was like one of the greatest blessings that they had. That doesn't sound like a blessing, does it? Paul says, yes, it is. Because we need to know sin. Look at chapter 7, verse 7. Okay, follow this. Some of you, you're going to go, oh, you Ready? What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. 
I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity, listen to that, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and died. The very commandment, listen to this, the commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. I don't know if you, you caught all of that. Is the problem sin? Yeah, the problem of sin. Is the problem the law? No. Is, law, is the law of God, is the law of Moses sin? No, it's not. Right? The law is what taught about sin, right? And so he uses an illustration, once again, from the Ten Commandments. Coveting. And he says, look, this is how I learned about coveting. This is why I know that it's wrong. The law says it's wrong. And not only is it wrong, he spells it out. He says, this is, these are things that I should not do against my neighbor's house, his wife, his servants, his donkey, his ox. Because we all know when our neighbor gets a new ox. <laughs> but look, he spells it out. He says, listen, I don't want you to, to not understand what I'm talking about. He says, anything that is your neighbor's. He says, that's good for me to know. But you saw what he said. He said, but sin used the law as an opportunity to accomplish its purpose. What's the purpose of sin? Its purpose is to bring death. Oh, folks, is your mind going there? You going back to Genesis 3? That's what we're supposed to do. Remember Adam, the trespass? Remember what happened all over there? God gives him, I gave him one law. Just don't eat of this one tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just don't eat of that tree. I'm giving you all these wonderful things, but just don't eat of that tree. And But sin used the law and its promise for life. What are we to think about? There was another tree, the tree of life. It promised life, but it used that law as an opportunity to bring death. You see what he's saying here, right? And then he says something interesting. If you notice, he says, listen, sin is deceitful. Now, he is personifying sin and the law uh, in those verses. And he's like unmasking sin. He's letting us know what sin really is. It's the deceitful one. Who's the deceitful one? It's the serpent. Who's the one that deceived in the garden? Folks, you see in this? You see in this? So this is why it became known as the ministry of death, carved in these letters of stone. And Paul anticipated that we're going to hear that. And we're going to hear about this ministry of death. And we're going to say, well, then the law is bad. We, should never, we shouldn't want to go over there. Well, he already said, look, the law is not sin. But then notice what he says in verse 12. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous 
and good. The law comes from God. It bears his character. Paul had to deal with the negative side of it, but in no means was his purpose to devalue God's holy, good, and just law. Israel is kind of set up here as a test group, if you will. Okay? God gave them everything. Uh, He took them, they were the lowest of the earth, by the way. And he made them into a great nation. He gave them land. He displayed his powers so that, um, so that, that he could uh, save them and rescue them at times. He continually showered his blessings upon these people. And yet, they did not obey his law. Just like Adam, sitting in paradise, He's got everything he possibly wants. And Adam, just like Israel, and just like us, he he ends up not keeping the law, turning away from God, ignoring his commandments, rejecting his grace. And eventually God sends Israel into exile because of it, right? Just like Adam and Eve, they were sent in exile from the garden. Now I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're 12 years old. Any 12 years old? Anybody 12 years old in here? Nobody's going to admit it, right? But imagine you're 12 years old and you just love baseball. Man, all your heroes are baseball players. All the the extra time that you have, I mean, you are outside, you're throwing the ball up and catching, you're, you're throwing it against the house and taking grounders, and, and every time there's a baseball game on, I mean, you are sitting right in front of it, and you just love baseball, and it's not that you're particularly good at it or bad at it, you just love it. You love the sound of a line drive. You love the smell of the grass, the feeling of sliding into home. And one day you just think, I'm going to have me a jersey, and it's going to have my name on the back. But you see, you're 12 years old now, and you've got to try out to get on a team. And suddenly, you begin to wonder, can I make the cut? All of a sudden, you're comparing yourself to everybody else that's out there. And you hear the coach, he's... He's constantly getting on to you when you make a mistake. And he yells out, he says, listen, when you take grounders, you got to keep your head down. When you're up to bat, you got to focus on the ball. And no matter how hard you try, you still make errors and you still strike out occasionally. And maybe you begin to even wonder, Am I even good enough to play this game? You see, the law is that performing, accusing standard of performance. It condemns you in your play. It is the unfeeling voice of a coach who tolerates no excuses, accepts no shortcuts. The law is good. Its fundamentals are good. 
keep your head down, get your glove down and go up. Honor your father and your mother. Don't covet. But what you soon realize is you'll never bat a thousand. That's what the law shows us, that none of us are able to do it of ourselves. And you may say, well, what is our problem then? You know, you got somebody just like the baseball player. I mean, he loves baseball. He wants to be good at baseball, just like I believe people who love God. They want to do what's right. Well, he goes on and he tells us what our problem is. We're still in chapter 7. You ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for this. He said, did that which is good, now what's good? It's the law. Did that which is good then bring death to me? Well, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to, me, to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law, listen to this, you got to get this, the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. You go on over in verse 23, he says, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Hear that? The law of sin. The problem, is it the law? No, it's good, it's holy. He says it's spiritual. The problem is that I'm of the flesh. He says that's the problem. In fact, you look at chapter 8, and you notice verse 7 and 8. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, I want you to take that and just file it away in the back of your mind, because we're going to pull that up next week. Because here's our problem. Our problem is we're flesh. We're fleshly. The law is spiritual, so in order for something to change, something's got to come. We'll get to that next week. But it's for that reason, it's for that reason that the works of the law can't save us. It just can't. It's inadequate. Good enough? It's not good enough. Never will be. Can't make the cut. Galatians 3, verse 10. This is what Paul says. Listen, you want to live under the law? You want to live under perfection of doing everything God tells you to do? He says, well, okay. For all who rely on the works of the law, you're under a curse. Well, that doesn't sound real good. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by what? All things written in the book of the law and do them. If you're, going to, if you're going to live based on yourself, your goodness, how you follow the law, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to bat a thousand. <laughs> We're in trouble. And that's why Paul said a few weeks ago, he says, listen, you can't boast. We cannot boast in our goodness in following the law and somehow we think that we impress God. He says it's impossible. He also talks about something else here. It's called a law of righteousness. We go over to chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 31. And this is what he says. He's, he's speaking about Israel. He said, Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. But they did not succeed in reaching the law. 
The problem wasn't them trying to follow the law, but seeking to be righteous by their own keeping of the law. What they failed was coming to righteousness the way God had always pointed and through the law, this law of faith that we're going to talk about next week. And we can do the same thing. Hey, read, read our church history. I'm not talking about this church, although we probably could to some extent. You could with me in my own life. But the restoration movement as a whole, I mean, we, what we, we said was, listen, we need to get back to the Bible. We need to, we need to teach the truth. That's good. I, I don't think that's bad at all. But what happened for some is, is that this book became more important in following all of its rules than it was in the one that the book and the laws were pointing to. And that relationship that we have with this great and wonderful God, that's, that's where we sometimes, the wheels come off, right? So that's, that's our problem. We're not faulted, folks, for seeking to live a righteous life based on what we read in this book. Hey, we should. We'll even talk about that. That's important. We should be growing and getting better in these things, and God provides us a way to grow and to get better in these things. The problem is when we believe that we are going to be saved by precision obedience. By precision understanding even. Because he's already told us, you're not going to ever bat a thousand. And there in Romans 10, verse 12, he says, listen, the Jews, they, they had a zeal for God. But it was not according to knowledge. They, they, they were very protective of God's law, even to the point of they were willing to kill for it. But he says, but they lacked the knowledge the knowledge of how we become righteous before God, how we are justified, which the law and the prophets continued to point towards the Messiah and the Holy Spirit that would come. And that's where we're going to be next week. But before we leave this thing, I want to just, just two things I want you to take away. If you don't get anything else, I hope you get two things. The first thing is this, we fall short of the Lord's commands. The law reveals to us the power of sin. It reveals that we are in need, David. We are in need of a deliverer, of someone to rescue us, to bring us out into a new exodus. And the second thing I want you to get from today's lesson is, is this. Continue to meditate on God's law. It tells us about who God is. It tells us what God values. It's good. It's holy. It's righteous. 
But if you think you're going to be able to, <laughs> to follow it 100%, if you think that's what's going to save you, well, we need to have another conversation. But you need to understand that that law, it's good. It's holy. It's, it's God's. Now, you may be somebody and you've tried to, to fulfill God's law in your own life with your, your own precision, your own perfection. And you know what? You're just tired you're just spiritually tired. And you know why? Because that's not the way God planned it. You get depressed because you realize, you know, and he even talks about that in chapter 7. I didn't read all of it. Read chapter 7. He says the thing that I want to do, I end up not doing. And the thing that I do want to do, then, I mean, it's just like, no. It's frustrating. We need something, something to help us. And that's going to come. Next week, but don't wait till next week if you've, got a lot, if you've got questions because we want to tell you about this Jesus. We want to tell you about his Holy Spirit who's come to, to dwell in us, in our fleshly selves. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this day and we just give you thanks and praise for everything that you do. Father, we are a people in need. We are so thankful as your people who are here. We are so thankful, Father, that you save us. You save us from ourselves. You save us from Satan and, and from death and from sin. And Father, we just ask you to be with those who may be here and they've just got a lot of questions. Father, I, I pray that they can come to know the peace of your Son and the wonderful hope that we have in him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.